The Sour Hour is meant for the serious brewer. The Sour Hour may contain some seriously funkified content. The Sour Hour is not for the faint of heart. So exercise some damn discretion, would you please? Sheesh. And now, here's the Sour Hour with Jay Goodwin. Yes, it is that time, but much to your disappointment, I'm sure, I am not Jay Goodwin. I'm Scott the Jew. Jay will be up in just a moment. I'm sort of splicing these episodes up into two, as we've uh, been discussing on the shows, and haven't exactly worked out all the kinks yet, so I've got to do Jay's intro in Jay's absence. But uh, here is the second part of Lauren Salazar and Jamil Zainashef, two of the best brewers on the planet, in studio. Enjoy. This is a new jam. What's this? Uh, this is more cheap. Uh, no, Defaz. It's like a UK techno group from like 99, 2000. Defaz. Like I'll tell you, the music is entirely different on this show than on any of my shows. Yeah, it is. And, you know, and, and I have not heard one weird Al Yankovic song. <laughs> <laughs> it used to be like, you know, every other song was Weird Al when, when Scott was working on our shows. Because that was, uh, he had uh, come out with a new album last summer, uh-huh. and so I was playing a uh-huh. lot of it. Yeah. Big, big Weird Al What, you saying you don't like it? No, no, perfectly fine, Scott. Don't turn my mic off. <laughs> it might seem crazy wearing stripes of pride. Good stuff. <laughs> I have to listen to that. I am so grim every meal I've had. Okay. Oh, there was some dancing going on in, in the bar. It was but... more headbanging. Was it really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. All the, all the young people out there. We can go to see a show, but I'll make you pay. Great radio. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Referencing dancing 10 feet away. All right, we're back. <laughs> we're back. Well, actually, speaking of 10 feet away, caller Brittany from the last segment yeah. is here. Call from the bar, and she brought us apple. Is it a sour beer? I, I don't think it's a sour beer. She said it was a little smoky. It's from uh, Fright Geist. Yeah. I think, it, I, think it awesome. had, I think that is. Is it is sour? Yeah. Well, we'll crack it open. Try it out. You're a badass, Brittany. But yeah, uh, we were uh, talking about apple beer uh, a few shows ago and just how, you know, Scott wants more of it, but, you know, there's kind of a stigma around it. And then on the way over here, we referenced that again because Lauren was talking about, I think, a beer cocktail, a butterscotch, <laughs> some butterscotch, a butterscotch beer, beer cocktail. cocktail. Mm-hmm. And you're like, no. Mm-hmm. Uh, and an apple butterscotch beer. It's oh. like the those those lollipops from like seventh grade with the caramel oh, and the apple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I actually just had the ca- a candy corn beer because I try every gimmick beer in the entire world. I can't remember. Gosh, I feel bad that where it was from, but it was candy corn right on the money. <laughs> I don't know how. Is that a good thing? I you know it was truth in advertising. It said what it was <laughs> and it was, and then people are like, I don't like it. I'm like, well, I love candy corn. It's one of my um, secret things, um, and I drank the whole thing, and everybody looked at me like I. What What is the flavor of candy corn? It's wax. like sugar, sugar, and, <laughs> and some DMS thrown in no, there. No, it's, it's um, 
gosh, what? It's so specific. It does not I taste like corn. Like my, my girlfriend, <laughs> no. uh, like she's running the, the sensory program. Lindsay, she would, uh, we will, we'll tell you later. We'll get right on that. <laughs> Is it Cigar City's beer that you had? No, it was. Because it's not, apparently not the only candy corn beer. Cigar City makes one. No, mm. Candy corn double cream ale. No. Wow. Yeah. Wow. There's no. also a, a candy corn IPA from the same Cigar City. No. Mm. But, yeah, Wayne, stop putting candy corn in your beer. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, no, I can't remember what it was. More like a weird Germany word. Sorry. That makes sense for Florida, you know. Yeah. There's a lot of things going on. It's it's the candy corn capital of the world. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> it says Everyone. it on their license 95% <laughs> of candy corn is produced and the candy consumed corn in the state, state of uh, Florida. Yeah. The candy corn state. What about circuits? Circus Peanuts. Is that like Wisconsin or something? Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, no, Idaho. Idaho. Uh, okay. Another one of my great loves. <laughs> Idaho or Circus Peanuts? Both. Yeah, sure. I'll go with both. <laughs> All right. We're back. It's the Sour Hour. <laughs> um, what was I going to do? Oh, I know what I was going to do. I was going to talk about... say hello to Sebastian because we... Uh, hey, Sebastian. Freigeist uh, beer that, that Brittany brought, brought. That was really nice. Yes. And I'm sure Sebastian it's shops awesome. at our great sponsor... Yeah. The Wine and Hop Shop. Mm. Speaking of Wisconsin, right? Yes. Wow. An, an unintentional um, segue by, by yours truly. Yeah. I'm getting good at this. Let's face facts. <laughs> Wineandhop.com. Uh, they're carrying, this is the big news here. They're carrying uh, Omega Yeast Labs uh, cultures. So wild yeast and bacteria. And then also our uh, one of our local uh, smaller yeast labs giga yeast mm-hmm. um they have a lot of cool brett strains and lacto things going on and actually the the batch that we just brewed uh at Jamil's brewery this week and brought it back we uh did a french saison primary fermentation with giga yeast their saison number 1 and we have a side kind of lacto tank thing going with the uh omega yeast labs uh lacto blend so you know, this is uh, us using these these strains because there's a lot of exciting stuff going on with them. So, you know, go on to wineandhop.com and definitely check these out. Um, all the beer, BN listeners get a flat $8 shipping rate for orders under 50 pounds. So that's probably yeast and bacteria. Um, just enter BN shipping in the notes section. Uh, the shopping cart and the discount will be taken off after checkout. Um, you know, I di- there's part of this promo that... I have not selected, but I'll use it today. Put your money where Jamil's mouth is and shop at your local homebrew <laughs> shop, the Wine and Hop Shop, doc, Wine and Hop Shop, wineandhop.com. There you go. Yeah, they, that is um, that is sponsor-provided point. They wanted us to say, put mm-hmm. your money where Jamil's mouth is. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Absolutely. Shop but, at your local. Yeah, yeah. wineandhop.com. Check them out. So, uh, yeah, what were we talking about? The, the Barrel. Uh, but actually, before we blow past it, I want to uh, talk about Jamil's beer. The second one that we had, the passion, passion fruit sour. Tasting fantastic. So really, really nice. good. So you made a lot of this beer, right, to supply the new demand <laughs> that we're going to have for it? Yeah, a whopping uh, six barrels. Oh, man, you got to make more. Tell us about how you made this. Uh, so uh, we have our sour base wort that we do, which is base malt, and I think we throw in some wheat. <laughs> we throw in... Uh, you throw in a few a few grains, and then um, we ferment it with uh, 530 yeast in stainless, mm-hmm. and then uh, we blend in uh, bread and bacteria from you, 
that you you started us out with that we still we still grow to this day. It's a beautiful thing we have going, <laughs> right? <laughs> and then uh, we dump some of that in, and then um, get it mixed up, and then we transfer it to uh, uh, wine barrels that I get from various wineries, and then um, that stays for a year or so, and then we'll add fruit. And in this case, passion fruit. I've got a cherry. I've got elderberry. I've got boysenberry. I've got plum. I've got peach. And then uh, we let that. It, it's amazing how quick the fruit gets fermented out. Like you know, cherry, it's gone in just a couple of weeks. I mean, it wow. just ferments like crazy. We get a huge blow off, and then done. <laughs> and all the sweetness is gone, and it's just just all this great cherry flavor. So that was one thing that I learned early on. I was adding fruit earlier in my, my sour process. And now I, um, add my fruit later in the, in the sour process and I get a lot more fruit flavor. And my concern early on was that it would, um, not ferment out and I'd have too much sweetness, too much fruit, you know, and it would, it would just make for an unbalanced beer but it actually, you know, just hammers through it real quick and leaves just the great uh, fruit flavor. So uh, and that's what we did with this with passion fruit. We used a passion fruit puree because uh, I don't grow passion fruits in my backyard, which is <laughs> one of my other source of fruits for sours. I do pomegranate and things like that. Oh, and nice. I grow my own pomegranates and then seed them. And <laughs> to them. That's why it's such a limited quantity. But, uh, yeah, that was it for the passion fruit. It's, you know, it's all about time and temperature and uh, the amount of oxygen you're picking up, I think. Um, I've noticed a, a rather uh, significant difference between American oak barrels and French oak barrels. Mm -hmm. I think the French oak is allowing a little more oxygen through. And so I'm, I'm actually, sometimes I like the French oak. Sometimes I like the American oak better. Mm -hmm. I like a fairly, you know, balanced, subtle uh, nuances and um sometimes the french it seems like it's coming through a little too angular for me right but uh you know when we blend them together that turns out nice the only problem is when you're doing like three wine barrels and like two of them are french or you know or all three of them you, you don't get quite that blend back across the the uh porosity of the the woods yeah and you don't get that kind of experimental data point so right. you know, oh, right. you know, if I tried this again, should I go all American oak or all French or do I like this blend? It's, right, right. You know, when you do do it on that level, it's it's tough. So at a sour beer at that level, I'm assuming it's just uh, on very briefly at the tasting room in uh, Fairfield. Oh, I, I just heard it's gone. <laughs> it, we, I think we are on our last keg right now. Wow. Um, I mean, we, we serve it in little uh, snifter glasses, but... I buy it by the tulip myself. I, mean, mm -hmm. I make him pour me a big glass. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll we'll put something else on. I think the next one up is the elderberry. And I think the elderberry is um, even better. Nice. It has a great uh, complexity, almost a little spiciness, like cinnamon and and kind of dark fruit, and uh, it's just yeah, and that like cedar kind of notes. Yeah, some cedar notes. Yeah, it's yeah. just uh, it's just one wine barrel of of elderberry. Awesome. Um, and about know. when and what time? Did you say and one barrel? When's that coming one, up? One, one <laughs> barrel, yeah. I wasn't sure how elderberry would work that was out. a tease. I had never, never really worked with elderberry before. And so I was like, well, I'll try one. <laughs> and uh, it turned out so good. I'm just, I'm amazed. Um, Keep it for yourself. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, so that'll just be like all tap room. Nice. 
Very cool. But uh, yeah, um, having a lot of fun with it and, you know, working on expanding it. So maybe next year we'll start producing more. This year I'm just kind of farting around. Well, your farts taste great. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't told that before, but... uh. So, Lauren, when you guys are, you know, going through your barrels and your uh, fooders, the oak tanks, are, are there different types of wood that you encounter? Are they split, or do you go all one or all another? They're all French oak. From all French the, yeah, oak. the fooders. But we, well, I mean, that's not true. The, the fooders are all French oak, obviously. Um, except for the new fooder. There's the new fooder manufacturer um, now that it's in Missouri. Mm. Um, segue. Um, anyway, yeah, they are all French oak, and we, except for the whiskey barrels that we have from uh, Leopold, from Todd Leopold at Leopold's Distillery in Denver, right outside of Denver, and um, those that we are fortunate enough to um, get our hands on his fruited whiskey barrels, um, those are American oak. Awesome. And charred, so totally 100% different. Can we do a quick uh, barrel question? Yeah, let's do it. From uh, Ben uh, Northeim, writing in from Cleveland, Ohio. He said, Scott and Jay, I recently uh, bought a used whiskey barrel. It was freshly dumped. I want to use it for my sours. How do I go about getting the bourbon character out of it? Uh, right now, I'm storing it per Jay's advice of potassium, metabisulfite, and citric acid. So, yeah, how does he get the bourbon character out of it? Well, he's already started with uh, that storage solution. Um, boy, it's tough. What maybe, I mean, hindsight 50 50, but this won't help you too much but uh maybe the other people who will get a new whiskey barrel in i just make a regular beer in there That's first what I was gonna say, yeah. and yeah ha- why, why waste that yeah have the beer strip out the bourbon because to a lot of people they're hearing this and they're like oh no like <laughs> <laughs> you get just that. get a freshly dumped whiskey barrel and you put the you know, like dang it yeah so but i mean if you want to get the you know you maybe you're going for a more subtle character um so it doesn't overpower the sour beer um, yeah, I think you're doing the right things. You have a storage solution in there. Um, Maybe make, make a the sour beer the first one and have a little, um, put a little cinnamon and vanilla or something. Mm-hmm. Have make something that complements those those notes. Some peach, come, yeah, that will come. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so it, it, it would just take one batch to to really pull all of the all of the bourbon character out of that barrel. One batch of of another beer first. Sitting in there, yeah, for sure. Yeah. We we went through a lot of bourbon barrels when I was at the brewery, and um, we would put in. I, I, actually, a main struggle for a commercial brewery is you put the the initial clean beer in your uh, spirit barrel, so whiskey, bourbon, whatever it's going to be, um, and it extracts that flavor out. You release that beer. Cool, it's a great beer. You really like it, but then you've got this kind of intermediate barrel where man you're gonna get a little bit of char maybe a little bit of whiskey so you really need to work on stripping a lot of that out either using hot water or chemical or just Mm -hmm. physically trying to strip it out now sometimes when you strip out the char you're removing char but you're adding intense oak flavors that are you know right behind it in the charred oak barrel um one thing that uh i was up at goose island and they made a beer. They they didn't consistently make it, but they made it one time uh, called King, some English king, King Edward, let's say. And uh, it's the, it was the beer that they made. It was an English barley wine that they put into King Henry. King Henry, thank you. You're so knowledgeable. I didn't hear any uh, keys typing in the background. Why, why would you? You just got it off the top of your head. Mm-hmm. It just took a few seconds. Sure. Um, so King Henry. Uh, 
That was a, I think it was an English barley wine that they put into formerly uh, Bourbon County Stout Barrels. And, I mean, they've got a lot of Bourbon County Stout that they make all the time, probably even more now. Um, yeah. And that that beer was really great. This, like, second bourbon barrel fill, it had a really nice, light bourbon character to it, which, mm. you know, sometimes can be a good thing. So, you know, I would maybe even put some water into the barrel and just, when you pour that out, not the potassium made by sulfite solution, but just water, taste that, smell that, and because that character is going to go into your mm-hmm. beer, too. So kind of, or just when you empty it out, smell the oak barrel, again, not right after you empty out the potassium made by sulfite, but after you rinse it, um, and just go from there. But I think your if your idea is to strip out the bourbon, you're off to a good start. Well, and you know I consider bourbon barrels like a one use type of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're making a bourbon beer, but the thing about do you how do you feel about bourbon barrels as uh, applies to making sour beers? I mean, I think a lot of times people. They're, you know, they conceive that a barrel is a barrel. It doesn't really matter. But, you know, with the the bourbon whiskey barrels, it's such a deep char that that's really going to impart stuff onto the onto the sour and also, which may or may not be a good thing. But um, it's also a really thin barrel. Yeah. It, compared to a wine barrel, it's a much thicker stave and much less oxygen getting in. I would worry that the bourbon barrel is going to let oxygen in just at such a rapid clip that, you know, may not be great for making sours. Yeah, I, th- I think that's dead on. And so when you're considering the bourbon barrel use for the sour beer you made, that may be the one use, you know, mm-hmm. because those barrels, they are really charred up. And we, you know having a lot of experience with them at the brewery they we had two uh oak barrel cellars and a big wall in the middle and one cellar would be the sour beer and it'd be all wine barrels mostly and be really clean in there and awesome i love that (laughs) cellar and i walk into the other cellar and that's where i'd be all day that's where i'd be all day you know this one's pussing out and this one's leaking and uh oh i taste this one and there's some nail polish aroma and it's they're a lot more challenging you know you are letting a lot of oxygen in you're letting a lot of beer out so not my favorite overall it's a part it's a small part of our mix of the rare barrel and by that i mean like less than four oak barrels out of 850 so you know it's it's a fun thing to experiment with just like any other kind of fun ingredient like elderberry you know it's like try it on a small scale um but this guy obviously you know he wants to try it on a big scale so you know, just keep keep an eye out for leaks. Um, get some paraffin wax for uh, for a barrel sealant because it's it's going to leak eventually. Um, but yeah, good luck. Thanks for uh, writing in, Ben. Thanks sourbeerblog.com dot com for um, parlaying the question to you. Yeah, so let's um, let's get back to this uh, this collab because we haven't we did discuss kind of pH one as the base component, but maybe Lauren, you could take us through where we went from there and kind of what you did before we even landed in Fort Collins and kind of going through your cellar. Uh, well, I started about a month before you guys came. Um, just wanted to make sure I tasted every single barrel and every fooder in this, in our wood cellar. And that is 64 fooders and about, about 40 to 60 small barrels. Um, so I just kind of like, just took a chunk of them every day, every other day for a while and took a break because I was tired. And about a week later, um, went, uh, sorry, I'm passing a glass. <laughs> We're pouring um, beer. 
<laughs> I can't think and pass a glass of beer at the same time. Um, the and, hold on, passing beer. Gosh, one moment, please. Okay, <laughs> keep going. I'm I'm listening. Um, I um, so I, I, I just, uh, yeah, I tasted everything um, because we didn't have an idea. We just knew that there we might use pH one. So I just didn't want to waste you guys' time um, tasting really young or not stellar barrels because you didn't have a month to go through all of them. So um, just kind of had the ones that I thought that were even interesting at all. And we really did kind of go we didn't we we went we kind of tasted many more barrels than i i even thought that we would which i thought was pretty cool you guys um so it was it was a lot of grounding i think we did in the beginning for you guys to understand like kind of what is the house flavor because everybody has one um and my boyfriend pete always says like he can taste it he knows a New Belgium uh, sour, like with his eyes closed and you know blindfolded, um, and I, I and I get that and I like that. I think that that's the cool thing that you know when you're tasting a rare barrel or a, a Russian River. And, Our and now, house character is, is very much like my farts. I'm told. Delicious. <laughs> it tastes great. And um, but so it, it it's for you guys to get to know what the house you know what it is like what. Because it's so such a weird thing, like t- tasting your barrels. You're like, oh gosh, can you taste that one thing? I'm like, I'm. This is the first barrel I'm tasting here. It's going to take me a while to get completely grounded, know what I'm talking about. And I think that um, that's what we did in the beginning. Um, tasted a lot of those, uh, the cherry ba- uh, small barrels, and we went from there. I really, I really liked the uh, when it came to the the pH one barrel. You know, we, we got to taste through the, the house character that you're talking about. But pH 1 itself, to me, I thought was quite different from what we're used to right. with, with Oscar and Felix. Right. And it was a very, very bold – had a very bold personality to it. Very sour, mm-hmm. but still a clean lactic sour. Uh, very cherry forward. Very dry. And I thought it was a great kind of keystone for the blend. Because it had this bold personality, and then we were able to kind of shape it in another I, direction. And I think that that since we only had so few of those, um, hadn't really decided what to do. We call it, we have a beer that we do that with. It's called um, Oscar Kiss Cherry. Everything is like something about Oscar Felix. I'm terrible at naming beers, <laughs> and um, so and we made a couple kegs of that last year just with those those barrels. Just kegged them right off and. But nobody has really tasted those, so I think that it was fun to be able to use a lot of that as the base for this. For, so it wouldn't just – not just. I hate that when I say that. Uh, it wouldn't taste like a New Belgium beer. It needed to have something else. It needed to have a different personality to it, and that really um, makes it even funner. So the collaboration was was really in the the blending and you guys being there and, and choosing the what would be the blend and how it how it all worked that way. Yeah, actually, Alex's uncle Roy was like basically did all the work and we just sat around and. Oh. <laughs> Is that the same uncle that yes. brought you to New Belgium originally? Yeah, oh, look at that! In Colorado, full really, circle like, came up for it. It was fun. We all had breakfast together and hung out, and he was with us for the whole blending. Um, day one blending. Um, so it was kind of a, you know, just extra super special part of the blend. 
Alex went over to the uh, boil kettle and retook the picture of him, you know, looking in there and becoming fascinated. He didn't have that sweet uh, mohawk that he had then, but whatever. Were you rocking a a mohawk back then? I I was for a little bit, a little bit, just for fun. I I went from a lot of hair to a little hair, Uh just cooling off. (laughs) <laughs> do you ever miss the the brewing part you ever itch to get back there and like hang with jay while he's doing his thing considering well, it was you who you know you know i don't because i think jay does a better job than i would do if i were in that case so i feel great about that but i uh but i i still get involved with blending which you know is is what we did out in new belgium and is really kind of it's great because i get to come in at the end and uh, be like, oh yeah, this tastes good. This tastes <laughs> good. Let's mix that with that. Ooh, maybe not that one. Right. That's and really the, the where blending, the beer's made. Uh, with sour beer, yeah, blending mm-hmm. is a huge component of making sour beer, and it's it's a lot of fun. Well, yeah, you 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 don't have to uh, work in the pit. You just get to drive the car once it's built. Exactly. Uh, yeah, this yeah. is it's it's yeah. it could be a little faster. Yeah. Although to be fair, a lot of the the pit work, as you describe it, is going on. You know, at another brewery that's making our awesome work, <laughs> and that's Heretic. Yep. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So I'm not I'm not working that hard. It's like, you know, do you want to go visit Jay while he's doing his thing? It's like our offices are right next door to each other. So it's we we talk talk about the beers and get through the blends all the time. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it's, it, it has been a long time since we were we were home brewing batches and kind of talking about the the type of brewery we wanted to make. But you know those. Those were simpler times back then. <laughs> also, we drank some simpler times back then. <laughs> All right. Um, do we have any other questions we want to get to? Maybe get to a quick break. Uh, yeah, we got, I mean, we have an endless some, amount of questions. Some blending questions, anything about barrels, anything about sour beer in there. <laughs> Here, how about a, uh, how about a, you brought up a dry yeast earlier. Yeah. How about a dry yeast question? This is from uh, Will from Sicily. He said, uh, "Hey, Dickwads, just moved to Sicily, and oh, before, wow, <laughs> before before leaving the states, a little aggressive there. Yeah, so should we not? Is that? All right, well then, you know It'll what? Fit right in. And, oh, wait, what? Sicily? <laughs> Damn, Sicilian. No, sorry, sorry. Sicily. Do you proof these questions before you just like just read them? No, I just go right for it. <laughs> that was fine. Let's let's hear that out. Let's All right, the dry yeast one. Uh, just moved to Sicily. Before leaving the states, I started getting into brewing sours, uh, but now that um, I have to order my ingredients overseas, I've switched to dry yeast. I'd like to continue brewing sour beers, but I don't have access to the fresh." White Labs blends I did in San Diego. Are there any manufacturers producing dry bread or, or lactopedio strains, or am I better off pulling dregs? Black man yeast. There you go. That's it. Easy answer. <laughs> it's it's I can't you know I've never used it, but uh, it's a new company that is shipping out dry mixed fermentation and cultures with uh, Lactobacillus and Britannomyces. So um, I don't, if I remember right, I'm not. Don't remember if they have a website or a Facebook, but yeah, just type in Black Man Yeast. Perfect. And check it out. All right, here's, and, le- and let us know how it goes. For sure. Here's another one uh, from uh, Alex, who is a, a zookeeper at the Denver Zoo. That's um, fake. In- That's me. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, his name is uh, Alexi Saunders. Uh, this is good because Jamil's here in the studio. He says, uh, I've heard Jamil mention on a few occasions that you need to be brewing constantly to get better. Uh, when he mentions this, do you know, is he brewing fo- uh, full five-gallon batches? Can a similar experience level be gained by doing smaller batches, like two or three gallons? Does he send this question into every show? Is that, that's Did he send I'm it asking. into another one, too? <laughs> yeah, oh, really? I think we just answered that the other day. Oh, oh okay. What's the answer? Just, an- just yes or no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I, I was just saying that uh, you know when when um, when you're brewing, uh, it's there's a lot of little subtle things that make the difference. And when you change the scale, so you know a, a, a two gallon batch versus a five gallon batch versus a ten gallon batch, there's some subtle differences and the equipment differences that change what your result will be. Yes. Brewing on any scale, big or small, actually does help you. So the more you can do that and the more you repeat it, the better off you're going to be. But if you can, ideally, whatever your target amount is, just brew that amount and get used to that equipment and, and that. And I think that makes a – that really helps. It would be like trying to make a sour in a one-gallon glass jug and then – also making, you know, and, and using that as your experience to, to do it in, uh, you know, 60-gallon wine barrels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the one-gallon jug was helpful, but did it really teach you everything you need to know about the, the wine barrels? You know, it may not turn out the same. Right. We just look for kind of a direction when we do that. It's mm-hmm. like, does this work on any level? Right, right. And then we try to, yeah, just engineer it up. And, and so then it, it'll be wildly different. Exactly. So so the answer is yes. Yeah, one, one helps you, <laughs> yes. but it's not going to be exactly the yeah, same. Keep, keep working. You know, you're not going the wrong direction. You know, it's just not yeah, a straight. Any brewing is not better a, than no brewing. It's not a straight line mm-hmm. forward. So. Good question, though. He has a, another question, and there's a bunch of pros in this room, so you guys can shed some light on it for him. He said, I'm interested in the uh, Siebel Concise course online in regards to getting a foot into the uh, brewing world's door, pro brewing. Uh, I realize it, it might not be as good as going to UC Davis. Is the online course respected by brewers? Will it help my chances to get my, my resume a second look? Now, I've been hearing kind of rumblings more and more, and not just in the beer world, that people are sort of more interested uh, employers in hiring, um, like in, in specifically beer, I've been hearing people say, I would rather hire a plumber or an electrician, like someone who has no beer experience at all, mm-hmm. but is has that sort of wiring that rather than, that that means more. If you, if you were a, a plumber for four years and now you want to work in the brewing world, that means more to me as an employer than your degree from UC Davis. I think it's all in the interview. I mean, you can a- ask like, 15 questions and you know right away whether or not somebody knows what the hell they're talking about and i think that that's just however you get that in education is great and i think that whether it's siebel books blogs and you know inner emailing questions to the sour hour (laughs) you know whatever it it is that and the the thing is, is like just brewing. You just like mm. that. So the answer still is yes. You have to keep brewing. So, but in in order to get that interview to where you can make your case in front of that person, you will, know will somebody? It's, it's all about the that's recommendation. That's the answer. Yep, connections. <laughs> you but have, I mean, once you, you can know. make a case for Siebel being absolutely. Mm-hmm, you. I mean, the thing is, important. if you don't know somebody and you don't have any credentials, you're not going to get in anywhere. And right. and that is, and just having that shows that it's just like college. You know, like. It shows that you actually put the time and you're dedicated to that craft. And yes, it, and it, you know, how much should you stop your life and go for six months and, you know, throw that's all really up to you. Um, you know, but I mean, it's, I think at this point, it's such a competitive landscape mm-hmm. right now. Um, maybe just start your own brewery. Well, because <laughs> that's not competitive. No, I've kidding. hired people from, uh, you know, the Master Brewer Program at UC Davis. Uh-huh. And I've hired people that had no, you know, brewery training, but they were, you know, home brewers and interested. And as long as somebody's really smart and they can 
if you could show that in your resume that you're you're somebody who's actually smart and will work hard and is interested that's one of the most important one of the hardest things to find mm-hmm. they're smart people yeah you, you gotta so, have a motor that, that yeah. solves everything yeah. no we, yeah. we hired one guy is, you know somebody gets a that's why i'd like to see people with degrees from college because that doesn't necessarily mean you're smart but you know it's kind of weeding out some of the people who weren't able to complete that or at least you know you've got that that drive to complete something that is a substantial amount of work somebody gets a master's degree and then they want to be like a minimum wage employee at my brewery i'm like okay so it's somebody smart and passionate <laughs> probably or dumb and passionate hey, either way <laughs> and you know, you tell in the interview like lauren's saying yeah i mean you're you're just you're trying to prove that you know how to learn new things on that resume because if you're selling yourself as i can walk in here and do this job even though i don't have experience yeah. it better show somewhere on your resume that mm-hmm. you've done that before we you know? ha- we kind of hire in the in the production uh in brewing the department it kind of goes in a little cyclical some outside um an outside person and then we do um home and like outside a different industry or sorry outside brewing industry probably and then home brewers and then also internal like if you're working in packaging or the finance and accounting department um, and you've shown interest, and we kind of do that little loop um, through all of them because it gives us a really great breadth of 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 humans. Um, it's not just all um, brewing engineers. It's not all home brewers. It's not all you know computer IT guys that went to Siebel. You know, I think it's that it's a really great um, way to kind of mix it up and keep everybody honest. So there you go, Alex. Good luck. I'll just uh, add one more thing on top yeah. of that because it was mentioned earlier that it's so competitive out there. But I actually think there's another way to look at it is that so many breweries are starting right now. Okay. That there's there's a, a big gap in between. Choose your brewery wisely. Experience, turn it around. Experienced <laughs> brewer. So you're hiring a brewer with experience versus entry level. There's not a lot of that. You know, we're not rampant with assistant brewers out there. It's like, okay, I got a little bit of brewery experience. It's either you kind of have been working in the brewery for, you know, one to five years or, hey, I'm a home brewer and I'm just desperate to break into the industry. So, you know, don't count yourself out just because you don't have experience. That's a lot of who's getting hired right now because there's so many breweries starting. So, you know, don't don't get discouraged. And, you know, it's almost, you know, I don't know what's more competitive getting a job at a brewery or starting a brewery right now but you know both both are growing so. well and be willing to take minimum wage these people that come in and go yeah i need like fifty thousand. i'm like you don't have you have no brewing experience get out of here but jamil i'm making x thousand now <laughs> right, and i have to right. quit that job to, uh-huh. to come work at your brewery it's like yeah right. you don't if you're That's not smart not enough to realize that you need to start at minimum wage uh, no, no, no. we all did yeah 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 i when I first started at New Belgium, everybody I know that's that's worked there for the time that I've worked there, we know the we know the number five <laughs> as a place where you start. I cannot believe that that's how much five dollars an hour. Five dollars an hour, throwing boxes. You know that's what you do. Or if you're because there was one brewing job, and that was taken. <laughs> totally. You know. Well, hopefully that was a good rundown. Take you know take Jamil and Lauren's advice. That's a lot of experience right there in a lot of different areas. So. He just called us old. Yeah. <laughs> a did. lot you're, of experience. You're experienced. 
Uh, yeah. There's also uh, more, old. more uh, J- Jamil advice uh, from February 2014. Two Brew Strong episodes on getting a brewery job, uh, wherein Jamil uh, and John will um, school you on how to, basically what not to do in an interview. Yes. Yeah. Invaluable. If you're looking to get a brew job. One of the that's, a, that's a good one. Many, what not to do in an interview. Mm-hmm. Many very good other BN shows that aren't this show. Yes, such as Bruce Strong. Every time you bring that up, it surprises me. So there's other BN shows. Yeah, there are. Okay. Mm-hmm. This, not this, the wasn't the, this is not the flagship. No, no. It's, well, well, there, there are other ones that aren't hosted by you. This, <laughs> this, this is, is the, the flag- sour flagship. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's the flagship show that you host. It's the La Folie of the Brewing Network. Right. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> Let's take a break and then, uh, I don't know, get in some questions, get in a few more issues, just kind of wrap this whole hullabaloo up. We'll be right back on the Sour Hour. Three-time Ninkasi Award winner and Grandmaster Judge Gordon Strong invites you on a guided journey of what's new in the world of homebrewing. Modern homebrew recipes, exploring styles and contemporary techniques available now from Brewers Publications. Gordon brings you specific advice and sensory profiles for as-brewed, award-winning beers with delicious variations to get your creative juices flowing. This is more than just a book of recipes. It sets brewers on the path to discovering what's new in the world of homebrewing. AHA director Gary Glass says, if you want to enter competitions or just learn more about styles that you might not have experience with, this book is going to help you tremendously. By emulating what Gordon does, you're going to make better beer. Modern homebrew recipes, exploring styles and contemporary techniques by Gordon Strong. Available right now from BrewersPublications.com and find brewing retailers near you. Since the first time the Brewing Network microphones turned on, More Beer was behind it. More Beer sponsors the programming on the BN because, like you, they love brewing. And like the Brewing Network, they love sharing their knowledge. MoreBeer.com isn't just a website to place your next equipment or ingredient order. MoreBeer.com also gives you access to free beer information that will make you a better brewer. Go to MoreBeer.com and click into the Learning Center. You'll find podcasts, technical facts, video tutorials, and more, including access to The Buzz, More Beer's social network of more than 5,000 members. And some of them might even be crazier about beer than you are. Get over to MoreBeer.com today and take advantage of The Buzz, The Forum, The Learning Center, and make sure you're signed up to receive the newest More Beer catalog. More Beer, bringing you absolutely everything for beer making. Are you a member of the American Homebrewers Association? Well, you should be. Members of the AHA can focus on brewing beer, and the AHA takes care of the rest. The American Homebrewers Association advocates on behalf of homebrewers like you to legalize the hobby in all 50 states and make sure that beer laws make sense. Plus, there are many great benefits that come with your AHA membership, like AHA member deals that give you awesome deals at bars, restaurants, breweries, and more. Zymergy Magazine and e Zymergy for tons of articles, how-tos, easy-to-follow recipes, and news about the hobby you love, and access to the members-only content on homebrewersassociation.org. But the AHA can't do it without your support. Join today so the American Homebrewers Association can keep fighting for your homebrewing rights. Visit homebrewersassociation.org or join now from the homepage of the Brewing Network website. Relax. Don't worry. It's the American Homebrewers Association. 
Your support of the Brewing Network means everything to us. We couldn't produce shows without you. And we love giving you something extra for that support, like... Brew Your Own Magazine. You already know it's a great brewing magazine full of recipes, equipment how-tos, discussions of beer styles, and brewing techniques. Whether you're new to brewing and just starting out or you're an old pro, you'll always learn something from the articles in Brew Your Own. Plus, there are amazing special issues like plans for building a Brutus 10 system, 250 classic clone recipes, and a home brewer's answer book. Brew Your Own Magazine and BYO.com are awesome resources for any brewer whether for yourself or as a gift when you subscribe or resubscribe from the brewing network homepage, you directly support programs like this get a great magazine and support the brewing network subscribe to brew your own right from the brewing network.com Things first, I'm a craftsman. Craftsman. Remodeling is my only passion. It's my passion. And I'm the greatest in the business. Want referrals, yo? My clientele will bear you witness. Right, right. I can help when your door jam sticks. Huh? There is nothing in the world I can't fix. Yeah. I do tiles, I do stone, I do bricks. Call me, I'll come rushing over with my bag of tricks. Bag of tricks. Where you go when your disposal is rusted? Rusted. Yeah, problem making you disgusted. Yeah. When your front window is busted. Just one name that's always trusted. I'm so You got an attic full of dry rot cause your roof's front a leak. Your fridge is starting to reek. Your hardwood floor's really squeak. But don't you worry, I'll just show you my amazing technique. Now let me glue that, glue that, and screw that, screw that. Any random chore you got, well I can do that, do that. Or maybe I'll just rewire your house for fun. I got 99 problems, but a switch ain't one. I'm so handy. Screwdriver, got the whole world thinking I'm a giver. Your heating bills are shocking. I can solve that with some duct tape and some clocking. Your house is a disaster, huh? Need a guy who's a master with a plaster, huh? Let me be your stripper. Taking off lacquer, no one does it quicker.
an off-air Mexican standoff about Weird Al Yankovic. Mostly between Jamil and Scott. I don't know why you're, why you're disagreeing with me, Jamil. The man's a genius. They're fa- facts are facts, Jamil. Stop disagreeing. Uh, where do we go from here? Gosh. Well, one thing I want to touch on, actually kind of got brought up in the last segment, but it, it was uh, Siebel, the Brewing School. And Lauren, that's actually where you know we spent a lot of time together, where you taught a... Uh, how to start your own sensory analysis class. So. Sensory panel management, yeah. Sensory do. panel management. Still do. How How is that, you know, How can you sell us on that class a little bit? How important is that for a small brewer, uh, mid-sized brewer, large brewers to kind of get after? I think that the sensory panel management is a three-day class at Siebel, and it is for a, a professional that, a person that's working in a brewery that is going to start a taste panel. And, uh, right now, Lindsay, who also works at New Belgium Gerdrum, and Suzanne Thompson from Miller Coors, uh, the you know the director of quality and doing stuff better. I think mm-hmm. is her title. No, I think it's um, AB, <laughs> I think it's AB Miller Coors. Um, yeah, ow, ABMC. Ouch! That hurts me deeply. Um, <laughs> anyway. Yeah, um, that, <laughs> yeah. That the class is it's great because I think that the what Lindsay and I teach the first two days, and my job there is because because I started a panel from scratch. I was all by myself. I didn't know anything. I was terrified, not unlike public transportation. The Bart here today, but um, it, and I just wanted somebody to help me through that process, and I, there was just nothing out there. And so this is how you start all the stuff, like what not to do what to do like and just like getting really realistic and then just giving them exactly like when they leave they know the next day when i get to work i'm going to do this Mm -hmm. and then this is what i'm going to do for the next month a couple months this is like my three to six month program this is my my year program this is what it's going to look like in about you know three years from now um how to train how to you know set up panels all the concept of biases and sensory evaluation in general um, it's really, you know, for people who come in and they're like, hey, I have a brewery, there's three of us, you're probably not going to be running a lot of statistics, but, and so I could probably just do that over the phone real quick with somebody and or Lauren, Lauren at five, five, five. It's real easy. I mean, you can pretty much figure out every brewing person's some like your f- first initial last name at the brewery.com. You know, it's pretty much that's or Lauren at, um, some people make it maybe because they don't want to be hit up by every right. home brewer on the planet. Make it like, uh, you know, Lauren dot dot Salazar at new. I've, I've seen some weird variations. Yeah. But I mean, you can just e- email Garrett. Like, I think it's just Garrett at Brooklyn brewing company or whatever. Oh, no. I know. I, uh, just burned him so hard. Yeah. Unbelievable. But I mean, it's amazing. You just you don't have to really try that hard. Um, the, 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 the concept is, you know, like if you're our small brewery and I, I mean, you just need to get serious about understanding what your flavor profile is. Do you teach them to be honest with themselves? Um, I teach them that it has nothing to do with them. It is, has to do with their pal, their panel. And the big mm-hmm. thing is, is to, for people to understand that everyone has, um, and anosmias or blind uh, blindness to certain attributes um and you better not go at it alone and if you don't have at least a couple other people tasting your beer and then you're you could be i mean people of course that when you say diacetyl you you're like butterscotch yeah everybody knows what butterscotch is but guess what colorblind people if you didn't tell them they were colorblind they wouldn't know 
Mm-hmm. They Tell think that they it. know what green. I know. <laughs> they think they know what green of the difference between green and blue because until someone says no, that's not that color. The same thing with attributes. Unless you are validated on diacetyl, I don't believe anybody. It's a word. It's when people use it as a weapon. It's a tool when you really know what it is. It's a weapon mm-hmm. when you don't. Mm-hmm. And that's the big thing is to you know try to get trained, train yourself, then train your panel, then run a panel. Um, then figure out what your, um, you, you know, what your true, true, what true to brand is and try to repeat that as many times as possible. And then after that, once you have a repeatable process with a good, you know, reasonable variance, uh, in it, then you're, then that's what a, a panel can do. And it's a really powerful thing. Um, and once you get like, if you have like 15 employees and you're not running taste panel, you're just not in it. You're, you're like, you got to get serious. Cause I think that the big, the problem with the industry right now is the number of breweries that are expanding super fast. And because the a normal model for any business is production, quality sales, marketing, you know, kind of like that. And unfortunately we are doing production sales and then we're like, well, screw it. I don't have any more money. You know, it's marketing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Production, yeah. sales, yeah, marketing. Exactly. Marketing. Yeah. Production, and then marketing. they're like, well, I just can't squeeze this quality mm-hmm. thing in here yeah. anywhere. And, it's ridiculous. But, but, hey, guess what? My beer is selling, so no problem. And I'm like, you know, that is, has nothing to do with longevity or mm-hmm. the responsibility we have to our consumers. Um, and it's a big deal. And we have to be... You know, if we're not tr- truthful with ourselves, and that really is true, like mm-hmm. what you said, it's, it's, I mean, you're lying to yourself. Like, I love when people say, I've never had a micro infection ever. I'm like, you don't even have a microscope. <laughs> How would you know that? It's like, it's a bold statement to make. Um, never. I've never I, had a flavor defect. I'll never. tell you, the majority of breweries have contamination. Oh, the majority. Really? Yeah. You know. Are contaminated. Really? Their yeast pitches are contaminated. Sure. Wild yeast, yeah. bacteria in almost Absolutely. all of them. Absolutely. I mean, you send it out for testing. You're looking for, like, they test down to, what, 10 cells? 10 cells. Well, that's that's I the mean, that's the approved 10 colony-forming mm-hmm. units, right? So that's kind of like the, the measure of, well, that's okay to send out. Mm-hmm. And a, a lot of it relates back to the fact that, you know, they were pasteurizing everything or sterile filtering and pasteurizing. And so... Well, if you had some contamination in there, no big deal. We'll kill it before we send it out. Yeah, another weapon. Yeah, now it should be a tool. A, a, a brewery like ours, we don't pasteurize, we don't filter, so you know we got to have zero units. That's our standard is zero. We have a pasteurizer, but we got to have zero. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. that's like I said, like you, there's a good way to use one, and there's a bad way. Pasteurization is great for sh- stability and shelf life, and mm-hmm. so that's mm-hmm. like I know everything's great, and here's like the last. Um, the flash pasteurizer, which is, I've got the belt on. Here's the suspenders. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, Mm -hmm. it's, but, but saying I'm sloppy, I don't care. Mm -hmm. I'm whipping through this thing and then don't worry. I'm going to kill everything on the way out. That's (laughs) that's no way to live. You'd be shocked at what breweries have contamination in their their pitches. All the ones that say that they don't. Yeah. Do you think, do you think that that number is going up or down with that? <laughs> well, with all the new breweries, it's going through the roof. It is. It, it's it is. making my yes. heart beat faster. Really? I imagine at least, at least 90% of the breweries must have contamination. 
Because I've, I've come across 90? bigger breweries that have it. Well, and, and the the thing is, is like, what do you what do you consider? Like, you have to, what's the your definition of contamination? And yeah, for me, it's one the one colony forming unit. Yeah. Is, well, you've got bacteria in there, or you've got you know a wild yeast in there. That's not supposed if to be there. And if you're a brew pub, you won't even, you know, the beer goes so fast. And right. Maybe it yeah. doesn't grow. So it doesn't enough, really matter as much. It's but, there, and now right. it's omnipresent, and now mm-hmm. it's in everything, and then you're your house flavor, flavor is yep. like farts. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> do, you, do you think it's realistic to ha- have people, is sort of the standard be zero? Like, yes. do you wish everyone's yes. standard was zero? And it's yes. how, how much harder would it be? For people to take that quality control step to make it zero, you would have to do quality yeah. before you expanded. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, every brewery should have a lab. Every brewery, I, I know, you know, well, every brewery has, you know, money they're spending on social media. Well, how about spending money right. on a lab? You know, how about how about having you know, uh, you know, quality be your 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 measure. And then, you know, you, you can go out there and when you sell something, it, it means something versus just like, well, you know, we're, we're exciting and here we go. And, you know, I, I, it, it's just it, it bugs the daylights out of me. So, I, yeah, I think the standard should be, yeah, absolutely zero. That's, that's what it should be. That's, that's what people are imagining their beer has, but it's, it's not true. So when it comes to... That's why nobody likes me. (laughs) (laughs) But they like your beer. So when we're talking about sour beer specifically, Lauren, and off flavors that maybe come up through the sensory panel or that you've seen over the years, what... What are the ones to look out for? What are the, you know, common, common ones that come up? And how do you, how do you prevent those? Well, the sensory panel doesn't actually taste barrels, and that's a, a, like very hypocritical because it really comes down to about three or four of us. Um, I taste, and then when we do, I, you know, what I'm tasting, I'll, I always invite all the guys to come. And, you know, if I'm going to take the time to pull samples, as many people as can comment because I really want them to start learning and getting to know the barrels. But the you know what what's an off flavor and what's just part of an evolution of a barrel is that's all the part that you have to get to know the barrel so well that you know exactly the difference between um you know what's going to happen if you get a little tiny bit of acetic acid um versus you know what what's you know what if you have butyric if you have diacetyl what does all that mean and is it fatal um, you know, what, what should you do? And I think that the, the, you know, the first time that, you know, anybody tastes barrels with me, if they go through and they'll get to a diacetyl barrel and they're like, Oh my God, it's the worst thing ever. And you're like, no, it's just this part. Um, and this too shall pass. And you just, I just write a little, you know, taste in three months or if it's a small, if it's a larger barrel taste in, you know, a month, if it's a smaller barrel and, um, it just kind of goes through it. So the, the you know the big thing, acetic acid and ethyl acetate are just the killers. Just they're gone. You know, once you have if, the worst one, I'd think is ethyl acetate. If you have ethyl acetate, there's just there's no getting out of that one. It's only going to go downhill from there. It's, yeah, you're, you're, you're it's it's a it's a dead case. And gosh, don't blend it. <laughs> you know, I have that. They're like, oh, this one has tons of ethyl acetate. I'll just put it in the blend. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, I'm why with you. Why you do that? <laughs> the only barrels you should be blending are the ones that taste great mm-hmm. on their own, exactly. and maybe you know it, it tastes great, but the, oh, you know, if the tannin were a little less or something like that, and then oh, this one, you know, oh man, tastes great. 
you know, but if the tannin was a little higher, you know, and, and you only blend those those barrels that taste great, the others get dumped. And then and then you have something special. If you're trying to mix in something that is less than great, then you're gonna have a less than great beer in in the blend. I mean, you know, you gotta you gotta have a standard that you live by. And you guys blend a lot of beers together in New Belgium. What are some of your keys if there are, you know, either home brewers or pro brewers listening? What are some of your top keys to creating a successful blend? Uh, we we were just talking about this because we both had to act, actually had to write this down for the very first time in my entire life to actually write what it, it means to blend because it's always just been in my head. Um, and so when I'm blending, I just think about the beer that I'm making. Uh, if it's La Folie, I'm only tasting Oscars. Uh, and then I kind of just taste every one of the Oscars. I will then push all the ones that I don't feel like are even part of the conversation. And then I'll pull them, the, all the ones again, and then we'll kind of go through and just do, um, these are very sour and just really on point. Um, I'll take all the ones that are incredibly sour, therefore hungry, and I, I need to do something with them regardless because they need to be fed. Um, and I'll pull all those to one side. I kind of rate those, and I'll choose the best out of those to be in the blend. And then I'll find some really fun barrels I f- find interesting with interesting characteristics that kind of bring life and complexity to a blend. You know, whether it be a tiny spot of Bretta that's in the, the cards or maybe um, some fun esters or just kind of like an interesting barrel character um, to it and just kind of bring in those. Like if something has citrus or coke, cherry Coke or something that I find um, guava, you know, something that's just really fun that works. And then the, the really the big key is to try not to get too cute with the blend. You got to, the main thing is the main thing. There's, you know, some, uh, some secondary characters a couple and that's it and try not to um get too messy because once you just keep you know blend more and more and more and more of different keys then you know we have the whole concept of you know you keep drawing with different colors of crayons and you make brown um and you just the whole blend is gone the whole point is gone and then you're just like a crud and you have to start all over and kind of start the blend again I just had I just pictured in my head the uh, the little kid like the Carl's Jr. getting one a little hit of each yeah, the soda the, the suicide uh-huh. yeah <laughs> just tastes like sugar at that point right yeah. yeah there's so much you know so many delicate things going on in those oak barrels that I think blending is a real skill where you're trying not to lose these fleeting flavors and aromas but instead kind of pick them up and and highlight them and Mm -hmm. it's a lot of fun the of of the fun part of what we get to do and hopefully something we've accomplished with this uh collaboration beer i think we were really careful about that you know there we wanted to like we had that last we were going to do the tertiary um kind of thing and then we stopped and we pulled and we said okay we're nope we're going back to this is the main thing and this is kind of the, the secondary um that makes it interesting and so I was proud of us. Yeah, I was proud too. It, it's really great. Did, did, you, did I hear you say, Lauren, that you, you didn't want this to come across like a new Belgian beer? I just, well, the concept is like, what's a really, you know, collaboration when they, it just was like, oh, great. So it tastes like another, it tastes like La Folie or, you know, Terroir without the hops or, you know, the, the Odd Couple, which is just a blend of those two beers. Um, and so it was the, the fun part is we had this, a lot of barrels that had a beer that we don't p- 
put out. Normally is this intensely sour cherry beer and just kind of, it must have just been, you know, perfect. It was just waiting for this to happen. It was an awesome time up at New Belgium. Uh, one thing I want to do while we have a little time left with uh, Jamil and Lauren here is just kind of run out the clock with some questions. I think, you know, we don't really get these two perspectives in here all the time when we're answering questions. So I'll take the art. You take the, the science, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I thought you'd take the smart. I'd take the dumb. <laughs> uh, so let's run through some. Well, I, I, let's see. I don't, I don't know um, how beneficial it's going to be for, for Lauren and Jamil because this is a, a kettle sour question, so it's, but it's a quick one. Is it beneficial to add acid malt to the mash to lower the pH into a range that makes it hard for other bacteria besides lacto to work? Yeah, I think below 4.6 is yeah. where a lot of um, harmful things uh, stop coming into play. Um, for kettle souring, boy, I mean, you're going from probably, what, a quick boil down to 100 degrees really fast and then just adding your lacto. Um, yeah, it may, it may be useful to get down to 4 or 5 right, uh, right before that. What do you guys think? Well, that, uh, we use, uh, you can use lactic acid or phosphoric acid or whatever, you know, uh, acid you have from your homebrew shop. And, but it's important to get the, the pH down. Our, our mark is 4.5. And, yeah, it, it helps protect it from getting really stanky. Yeah, so we a few do options. a totally different way. We have a, like, we actually have a lactic reaction vessel that we're souring in and then we do blended wort streams so mm -hmm. it's a little completely different german brewers use that too they uh yeah, so get, malt, yeah. yeah they get grain from malt that's where that's exactly what this is for the or else because you can't add lactic acid or phosphoric acid it's not part of the ryan henschke what uh, with friend, friend. <laughs> what else do the what else do He's you so international. does one use acid malt for is it only for it's kettle P sour beer? ph adjustment yeah that, that's all it is mm -hmm. okay uh, the, the rule of thumb is what? 1% is 0.1 pH drop, 1% yeah. mm -hmm. of your grist. Mm -hmm. So use that and go from there. That's a fun little note. Fun fact. Fun uh, fact. That question was from Cody. Thanks for writing, Cody. Thanks, Cody. Uh, here is Zach Fritz. He said, hey, guys, thanks for the great show. So my dad accidentally kicked an empty carboy into a full carboy of sour beer and a five-gallon shattered all over my carpet. Uh, is there anything I can do to salvage this? The Wait, he says, he says, just kidding. I know him. But. The, the real question, uh, I have uh, I, your relationship with your dad. <laughs> You're right. The empty carboy broke the full one. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly. Wow. Okay. Uh, I, the real question, I have uh, eight gallons of sour beer pulled from a barrel from my homebrew club. I didn't have any extra kegs, so I used better bottles to receive the beer. I put airlocks on each bottle and then uh, drove 15 minutes home as it sloshed around. Uh, at home, I purged the headspace with CO2 and pitched a grown-up starter of uh, consecration. How concerned should I be about oxygen pickup creating off flavors? The beer tastes really good out of the barrel. None. Yeah, not at all. I used to do this all the time when I would... And I'm doing air quotes, homebrew at the brewery. So I would uh, use our pilot system, which was a 10-gallon system. I'd bring in my two, five, or six-and-a-half-gallon better bottles. I'd knock out my wort and then bring them home and pitch the yeast and put them in my uh, uh, fermentation control. And that was, you know, I called that homebrew, but... <laughs> Is a you know it's it nice was, having it, hot water on higher. demand and slope floors and drains and all the chemicals you want so uh, yeah I did that before and the beers turned out great great fermentation and brett and things like that will all 
clean up oxidation. If you're and just uh, another note from the last question, if you're worried about um, if you do get kind of another infection on the way home, another thing you can try is knock out at four point five. While you know, if there's no inoculation on the way, you could that could be an extra step, or even when you knock out. If you have, uh, you know, your oxygen stone, whatever you use for oxygenating your normal beers, uh, just use uh, carbon dioxide instead, and then your carboy will be purged similarly. Well, here's a question about uh, things Brett eats. Uh, this is from Joe Darden, a uh, longtime listener, first-time emailer. Quick question about adding fruit to a sour beer. He prefers to call them American artisanals. Sour okay. beers, I guess. Uh, do... Uh, do you add a pectin enzyme to drop out the pectin, or does the Brett eat the pectin? Uh, we don't add a pectin enzyme. One of the fruit suppliers we work with actually just added pectin to one of their uh, the fruits that they're offering. I forget which one it was um, because they had some complaints from brewers that it was hazy. So um, I don't think Brett will eat through the pectin on its own. Do you know anything about that, Janelle? I don't, but you know our beers turn out fairly clear, even with the, you know the without adding pectinase. Yeah. Would it would it hurt to add it? I don't I don't really know anything about pectin. Hmm. You ever have to use that, Lauren? Um, we talked about it for a split second, and then we just kept it cold for a couple of extra days. What was it? Yeah, <laughs> we use uh one of our our uh, we, conicals. We have, yeah, we have a centrifuge, so yeah, we use one of our conicals to sell out uh, our fruit beers. So it's just time, time or temperature or no, just use your centrifuge. Uh, Joe, <laughs> Joe did say that uh, he's he's done it in sack beers, uh, and dropping the pectin out helps to get the beer or meter cider or whatever significantly more clear mm-hmm. when using fruit. So can Joe maybe split the batch and try try? Yeah, you know, I mean, pectinase yeah, sure. I don't think would affect the flavor, the head retention, or anything like that. It, it, you know, it's working on the pectin, and you know, just so it doesn't bind up and become large chunks anymore. I guess, I mean, for, it it just also depends on, like, are you, is it that you need it to be clear for your, the eye of the beholder? Because, yeah, for me, like, a, a sour fruit, a fruity sour beer should have. Have a little haze. Yeah, it depends sure. on the fruit. It, you know, it really right. is. Like, if it's, a, if it seems like it's applicable, then it mm-hmm. should be like It shouldn't that. be murky, but yeah. it be hazy. For, yeah, it should yeah. be uh, scary, but it should But, be. yeah, it's essentially, you know, meat tenderizer, right? <laughs> and fruit And fruited sours are supposed to be drank fresh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that people kind of forget, right. that those are not supposed to be aged beers. Like, you know, fruited lambics and fruit sours are, there's the, the beauty is in the fruit, that what the uh, what the fruit brings to the sours, so you know, drink that puppy. All right, here's uh, maybe one last one here from uh, Chris Thomas from uh, Mis- uh, Michigan. He said, uh, "When we were at the Rare Barrel, we had all systems go. Uh, it was a light colored beer with incredible coffee flavor. I want to try uh, a light colored beer with coffee as well." And I'm wondering if Jay has any hints about how to add the coffee. Bean straight to the fermenter, cold brew and add, or some other method. Thinking of playing with a uh, light roast coffee, blonde coffee, but not Starbucks. Good idea on that last point. Um, yeah, I do have some uh, one suggestion. Just rewind about 25 minutes on this podcast, <laughs> and you'll hear Lauren and my uh, method. But as for type of bean, uh, yeah, you could do what we do and just try a few different ones out at a small scale. Um, pick the one that you like, but 
yeah, just go to your local coffee roaster that actually like roasts the coffee that, you know, not, not Starbucks and Check the date on the coffee roast. Yeah. Bring or bring them some, some of your homebrew chat with the roaster and say, Hey, you know, I'd love to buy some of this for my homebrew. You know, would you have any suggestions about, are you getting any cool beans in cool, cool beans in for the next few months? Um, see what, see what they have to say. Or you can just go on eBay and get some more bottles of uh, Rare Barrel beer. It's already been done. No. Well, no. Really? <laughs> Actually, I, I looked on eBay earlier. Um, did, did they Is stop that, selling beer? I thought you beer? were just shopping. I was like, wow, you're just multi <laughs> <laughs> I, I No, that's, eBay up. that's Bevo's territory. <laughs> I did The only Rare Barrel product I found, a coaster. Uh, a, just like a cardboard coaster, a Rare Barrel coaster. Well, selling for, for sale Selling either. for $7. What? <laughs> for a single oh coaster. God. That's a Rare like Coaster. A right yeah. There. Oh, my God. I'm kidding. Jay, Jay, you shouldn't be charging seven dollars for a coaster. That's ridiculous, Jay. All the people trying to gouge the public. Just email Jay at the Brewing Network. Yeah, send you free coasters. Yeah, the many bids on that. And ask him why you can't download the show either. Yeah, those emails go to Justin at the Brewing Network. Oh yeah, yeah. Let's get let's get one more if we have it. Buffering. Let's see. How about a back sweetening question? Sure. Uh, I was reading, uh, this is from Michael Cook in Tucson, Arizona. I was reading a book about uh, cider and thinking about sour beer. Back sweetening came up. Uh, I wondered if it could be used in a sour beer. I'm sure somewhere uh, someone's tried it. Uh, what varieties of, um, oh, this is a different question. Yeah, back sweetening. What, what varieties of bread and bacteria can, say, eat lactose? Oh, that's a couple of different questions there. Is yeah. it? Uh, is it? Back sweetening. Well, back sweetening, yeah, I'd say most... The most, most of the sour beer, and I'll put that in air quotes too, made in the world, I think, is back sweetened. The bigger ones, you know. Yeah, yeah. they use uh, saccharin or yeah. aspartame, and they use a like a fake sugar to uh, sweeten them. You can I, taste it, which is weird because mm-hmm. you spend well, all that time. Yeah, it's yeah. and they beer. they have goose. You know, they have blended goose, and that's they just it's like one percent of their production, and it's great. You Amazing, know, it's like yeah. oh, this is really good, and a lot of people in Belgium. Consider it to be, but you know, I would prefer the banana. Yeah, <laughs> up up there is like the best, you know, With blended goose, and then they just take the ninety nine percent of the rest of it and add, yeah, blueberry, banana, currants, all this stuff. So, and wasn't that a response to soda becoming popular? Yeah. So, yeah, lambic was popular in Belgium, and then. Soda gained in popularity, and that was their their way of competing with Coca Cola. A lot of Coca-Cola. those breweries are kind of hmm. actually undoing a lot of that mm-hmm. right now. I was at there a couple this year, and um, there, I went to a couple breweries that are kind of known for that, and they are really having a you know renaissance of such, or just kind of being like, I, you know, I just I just need to stop this. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to fuel this fire of. Um, I, I mean, I was at a, at a um, festival and I drank a coconut lambic out of half a coconut. It was fun. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't hate it. Uh, it was hilarious standing in the middle of the, you know, the square in Brussels with this coconut and felt very bizarre and awesome at the same time. Um, but, and we're not going to make one of those, um, coconut curry. Oh, maybe. Okay. All right. I'll do it. Um, but yeah, I think that the back sweetening thing is just like, I, I guess you'd have to wonder why, why you're making a sour beer and to begin that Making you're, you're sweet, then yeah. going to make it sweet at the, at the end. You know, if you want sweet, pick a sweeter fruit, um, do it like that. That's a better mm. way to, to back sweeten. 
or I, you know, I think that's a legitimate thing to maybe want to do a sweet, a really sweet like and sour beer. Yeah. Huh. Um, yeah. but just, uh, you know, you don't have the, the pasteurizer. I don't know what Brett's are going to eat, whatever sugars you're going to put in or like if it's lactose, um, you could just do it like at per serving, you know, like as in Berliner vices or mm-hmm. Faroes and you could just take, you could actually Make put some in syrups. Yeah, make some yeah. syrups mm-hmm. or take a, you know, just crush up some brown sugar and serve to your liking. I say to you just back sweeten it and then keep it cold and carbed and, you know, don't keep it around don't for too long. Don't bottle it. Mm-hmm. Do not bottle it. <laughs> and then that's it, you know. That's kind of, we've talked about that on the show before. It's like, hey, you know, I can't afford to pasteurize my beer at home. What should I do if I want to lock this in? It's like, well, just keep it as keep it cold. keg beer, basically. Yep. Do they make baby, little tiny baby pasteurizers? I want one if they do. That I, I, nice. think, I, I think I think we pasteurizing no. a baby is <laughs> reprehensible, and you you should be called out on it's just that. Downright immoral. Just the policies of New Belgium Brewing are not endorsed <laughs> yeah, by the Sour Hour or the I Brewing Network on this <laughs> issue. That is a really gross visual. Let me let me read the last sentence of uh, Mike's email here. Okay. He says, "A step wilder. Could you sulfate a sour beer in order to back sweeten and treat it like a wine or cider? Hmm. Given the way clean fermentation is cower in fear of it, I'm assuming Brett can plow through." anything uh i if i was a winemaker maybe i could answer this a little bit better yeah i think i think the sulfating is you know the, uh, it depends on the concentration really of mm-hmm. the yeast and bacteria and stuff like that I, I i don't think you'd be successful in something that's gone through full you know fermentation and sour and all that I, i'm not sure i don't i don't think i mean you could use like a wine conditioner it has a preservative in it and sugar and use that to back sweeten and that you know if you let all everything settle out and then you know, transfer it off the yeast and the bacteria and then use the wine conditioner that might do it it's, it could change the flavor quite a bit yeah. though oh yeah, yeah. You, a lot of people are very yeah. sensitive to those kinds of things. yeah i wouldn't sulfate ah, please yeah, yeah. Oh. i didn't answer that's, that's, a, that's a wine people thing that's the face i make when i just smell it ah, ah. <laughs> kind of like jamil's house flavor yeah <laughs> All right. Yeah. Thanks for the questions, everybody. Keep them coming. And you can email them to jay at thebrewingnetwork.com. That is uh, J-A-Y at thebrewingnetwork.com. Yeah, if you don't want them right on the show, I'm just emailing you back. That's it. Um, Oh, is that right? I think so. Oh, okay. So there you go. If you want it right on the show, you got to email both of us on it. Unless I just nail an email, and then I'll just pretend like I didn't write back. Just be like, man, that was a good response. Yeah. And I'll answer it on the show. Perfect. All right. Anything else, or should we wrap this up? Now let's wrap it as much as I would love to continue to chat with you guys. I'm sure you have places to be and people to do. More beer to drink. Mm -hmm. Well, it was an awesome show. Thanks to uh, Jamil for stopping in and bringing the beers. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks. Thanks to Lauren from New Belgium for making a a delish collabo with us. (laughs) Tasting great. Thanks for being here, Lauren. That was a treat. (laughs) Thank you guys very much. We've definitely erred on the side of awesome on the show. Oh, and by the way, while we have a few seconds, what I was trying to tell you earlier was that we need to cut out Jamil at about one hour and 22 in because he says like he's got like the perfect line where it's like my house flavor is farts oh okay oh it's for a, a sound drop saying yeah it, that's a drop gotcha timestamp you know. thanks dude man you really yeah. are getting this radio pro thing. pro tip timestamp awesome <laughs> let's go drink beer yeah let's, let's do it Jamil your beer's tasting awesome man please brew more sours oh thanks that they are. thanks for joining us everybody uh, this has been the sour hour on the brewing network mm-hmm.